This morning we're going to look uh, briefly at Luke 22 where Christ, it is said, if you've got a ESV Bible or if you've got it on your smartphone or iPad, it will have a heading that was not in the original where Christ institutes the Last Supper. And this morning as we've been in a series looking at the liturgy of the church and why we do what we do, where we rehearse the gospel in our worship service throughout every item in the menu and the program, we're going to look this morning at the sacrament of communion. Now, in our church, we have, in the Protestant church, we have two sacraments. We have the sacrament of baptism, and we have the sacrament of communion, also known as the Lord's Table, or the Lord's Supper, uh, Eucharist. A sacrament is a very ordinary item, such as bread and wine, that communicates a a meaning much greater than its natural element. It communicates something sacred. Um, At Admiral Nelson's funeral service, the seamen who his officers who bore his naval officers, who bore his casket that was covered with the Union Jack, they took it into St. Paul's Cathedral, and after laying it before, there in the front of the church, the men took the Union Jack and they ripped it into individual sizes. And for the remainder of their life, they carried a piece of that flag that they had fought alongside of Admiral Nelson's side to defend. That was a sacrament. That piece of flag was a sacrament. This morning, the bread and the wine are the juice. It's a sacrament to us because it communicates as we reenact again the gospel. Now, I want you to see three things this morning. We're going to look at the past, the present, and the future very quickly. We look at the past in this table, we remember the Passover. Here in the Scriptures, let me read, beginning with verse 14 of Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table... And the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the vine, of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes, it has been determined, but woe to that man, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them 
it could be who was going to do this. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, Brian Chappell, in his great book on worship and the liturgy of the Protestant church, said about the Lord's table this, the Lord's table should enable God's people to feast on the wonders of his mercy. The Passover, we're told in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, is a day of feasting. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. In Exodus 12, verse 26, we see that it's not simply an individual celebration. Think feast. It's a family feast. It's a family celebration. Exodus 12, 26 says, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And so Jesus has his disciples with him and he says, I have been looking forward to this time together with you to celebrate the annual Passover. That time when God delivered out of slavery and bondage all of his people, all of his people that bore his name. He delivered them out of Egypt. But in his deliverance, he gave them instructions that they were to assemble as a family or families and that they were to eat a lamb and they were to eat all of it. And they were to eat unleavened bread as they were soon to leave on a great march out of Egypt. And that children would be present. And while they weren't able to recognize the great meaning and value of that lamb, they would inquire of the family members or the head, why are we doing what we're doing? What is, what is the meaning of this bread? What is the meaning of this wine? What is the meaning of this lamb? And they would explain to children as they're reenacting it, and we shall do that today. Now, when you are served the elements that you're going to enjoy around your table, for those that have children who are non-communing members, meaning that they have not come before the, the elders or the shepherds to be able to share their young faith, to be able to share that when they look at this bread and they look at this cup, they actually see the true meaning of the forgiveness of their sin in the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ. In other words, they see the gospel even as they eat. And so this morning we have an alternative. We have grape juice and goldfish. And we would love to have, we're not forcing, as it were, parents to have that conversation. Well, maybe we are. But we, we don't have children's church this morning because we want them to participate in this because it's a feast. 
And it's a Passover tradition. So we're going to do it once a year. It's a Passover tradition that Jesus Christ fulfilled and consummated, but did not end. He did not end it. He fulfilled it, but He did not end it. And so, it's a family affair, this celebration of the Lord's Supper. The Westminster Directory of Worship was one of the first directories or instructions for worship for the Protestant church after the Reformation. And the church in Scotland and the church in Netherlands said, as we look at the Passover, and as we look at the Lord's celebrating the Passover with His disciples, we see three things. We see, number one, that our celebration of the Lord's Supper needs to have a table. Number two, that it's a family affair. It's not just men. It's not just women. It's family units. It's the fellowship of God's people. We're sharing. And that was in part a reaction to the Catholic Church where an individual would go forward to the service and there the priest, the priest would actually stand in front of the altar to guard the altar because you commoners could get no further than the holy priest. In the Protestant church, we stand behind not an altar but a table and we invite you to come forward and participate in the table. But this morning, the Scottish church, we're going to enjoy the Scottish long table tradition that said people will sit at a table. The third thing that they said is best we can, the celebration should resemble and reflect a meal. A meal, not simply where we share the bread and share the cup with one another, but we share conversation with one another to encourage one another because it's the gospel that has brought us into this new family. And they saw that in the Passover, and they saw that in Jesus Christ. The Passover, though, The Passover needed one thing to fulfill it. It was celebrated annually. It was celebrated with a lamb. It was celebrated with a sacrificial system that said this. In order to maintain a covenant relationship with God, we need to restore the relationship because of our sin. We've drifted. We've forgotten Him. We have gone after other loves and other idols. So that needs to be restored. So our sin needs to be removed. Something needs to remove that sin. It's a lamb. Hebrews tells us that they would do that sacrifice over and over and over again. Jesus Christ comes. And here in Luke 22, when it says in verse 20, Likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He maintains the covenant, but he says, There's a change. There's an addition. It's new and improved. It's the old covenant, but it's 
better. It's fulfilled. No longer is there an annual sacrifice, but there's one sacrifice. I'm the Passover lamb once and for all. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the witch appears before Aslan. And Aslan, at this point, has taken back Edward, who was her captive. And she comes and faces Aslan the lion with all of his entourage. And she says, Aslan, you have a traitor right there. And Aslan looks at her, the Christ figure, and he says, the offense of a traitor is against me. And she says, that may be as it is, but you know the deep magic. You know what the deep magic says. And he said, let's pretend for a moment that I don't remember what the deep magic says. And she rehearses this deep magic, this law that if it's not fulfilled, then all of Narnia will be destroyed in fire and water. And she says, if ever there is a traitor to you, Aslan, if there's ever a traitor to your cause and to your kingdom, then they must shed blood. And that blood is mine. That one is mine. At this point, all the children are trembling because their reunion, it looks like, with Edward is going to be short-lived. And all the animals in the kingdom of Narnia around Aslan are ready to take him by storm. But he says, no, no, I would talk with the witch. And they go off to a private place and they come back after a conversation. And she leaves and he says, she has relinquished her claim for Edwin's, Edward's blood. And everybody, hooray, hooray. And later they find out after Aslan dies in his place, they find out, as Aslan explains to them how this came about, he said there's a deeper magic than the deep magic. The deeper magic says, if ever an innocent, pure one will die in the traitor's place, then their blood is free. They are restored to him. This morning, this table that is set is a table of deeper magic yet. And it's hard for us to comprehend. 1 Corinthians 5.16 tells us, The cup of the blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Stick with me. This word participation, in the Bible, whenever this word appears, it means communion. Fellowship, such as in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, a level of intimacy, family at the table, family with one another. Not just worshipers, but brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandmothers and grandfathers and all counting themselves in the same intimate family and fellowship. Union, 
like-minded, one heart. This is, this table is a table where we celebrate our union and our intimacy with Jesus Christ's presence. Sometimes in theological uh, books, it's called the mystery presence. And we can't quite explain it. John Calvin tried. He said, it is a mystery of Christ's secret union with the devout, which is by nature incomprehensible. If anybody should ask me how this communion takes place, I am not ashamed to confess that this is a secret too lofty for either my mind to comprehend or my words to declare. We read here that Jesus Christ, and you would have had to gone a little bit earlier in chapter 22, where he sent his disciples to, an, to find a man who had an upper room prepared for them to celebrate the Passover. Now, an upper room, imagine a box house with a smaller box on top. And it's just one room. And it's just one room that is reserved for Passover celebrations. At the Passover, lodging was free. They didn't charge. Innkeepers could not charge for all the pilgrims that would come in for Passover. Lodging was free. And if anyone had an unused upper room for the Passover, then it could be used free of charge. There was an independent stairwell, so you didn't go through the house. It was an outside stairwell that you would go up to that upper room. But something else you need to know. The upper room was also used in the course of the year by rabbis who would meet with their disciples for intimate moments of sharing their heart with their disciples. It wasn't a time of teaching. That would be at the temple or elsewhere. That would be at the, at the great temple grounds and various alcoves. But if a rabbi wanted to take his disciples someplace that he could speak privately, and not to chide them, but to tell them of his love for them, and to tell them what's on his heart, to share himself with them, he would go to the upper room. Christ says, I have desired eagerly to celebrate a Passover present, fully present with you in an upper room. I am in this Passover, in this Lord's table, Christ is telling us this morning, I am here in a way that is mysterious, but I promise intimacy with you. I promise to reveal myself again to your heart and to take your heart's affection for me in exchange. And what does he reveal the gospel? That he was not reluctant to die for us. That his love for us is steadfast and faithful. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Oh, let us remember that. You see, that's the problem. We forget. We drift. It's almost like 
imagine a, a piece of slate and we take a chalk and we mark gospel, gospel on it. And then in the course of the week, we take a white, I mean, we take a wet cloth and we just begin to take it off letter by letter. But then we have Sunday again. We've got today where we can feast and we can reenact the gospel and it feeds my hungry heart again. You're getting ready to eat with your mouth and drink with your lips. But your soul is promised to be fed because of the presence of Christ. Finally, I want you to see, I want you to see the future. And I want you to give yourself permission to be silly. Absolutely silly in hope and imagination of what the future wedding feast of the Lamb will be like. In Revelation chapter 19, we read, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what we know about future wedding feast. Number one, we're going to have in the new heaven and the new earth. In what he calls frequently, he says in verse 16, I tell you, I'll not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 18, I'll not drink again until the kingdom of God comes. So he's saying it's a Passover It's now, I'm present with you, but the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. I'm holding a place for you, and I'm holding off. It wouldn't be the same to celebrate it without you. And you're going to eat, and you're going to drink. You're going to have bodies. You're going to taste flavors. You are going to, it's going to be a feast beyond our imagination. We're going to eat with resurrection bodies. It's going to be on the new earth. And it's going to be a wedding. It's going to be where our union with Christ, which is now, it's present, but not yet. It's like we're engaged, or maybe we've been married now because of His work on the cross, but we're en route to the wedding feast. And it is going to be a feast. I dare say that they're going to be, there's going to be something for everybody there, the youngest to the oldest to eat. There's going to be something there, but every morsel that we take and everything that we drink is going to proclaim gospel, gospel, gospel because of our presence at that table. There was one present at this table. He's not named here, but it was Judas. And Jesus said, the hand of, of a traitor is on the table. And where it says, woe, Woe, in verse 22, to that man by whom he is betrayed. I like what the Scottish theologian William Barclay said. He said, the tense here in the verbiage of Jesus is not woe, woe to that man, but more, alas, he's going to miss it. Alas, not so much woe as alas. I would that he would not, I would that he would, I would that he would see me, I would that he would receive again the gospel. And so, are you prepared? 
Revelation, and it's in your outline, verse 19, I mean, chapter 19, verses 7 through 9 says, The bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So we prepare our hearts, but notice that it was granted to the bride. It's as if everything was laid out for her already. She didn't have to go and make the garment. She didn't have to go and, and get the pure linen. It was already prepared. It was all, all she had to do was wear it. All she had to do was put it on. And that's how we prepare for this feast now and for the feast in the future. We rehearse and we rehearse and we put on as sons and daughters. I'll tell you, I've got a wedding coming up this next weekend. And uh, this particular wedding planner sends me a timeline of Saturday, the day of the wedding. The bride starts at 9 a.m. getting her nails done. 10 a.m. she gets her hair done. The wedding's not till 5 o'clock, folks. It's not till 5 o'clock. The guys, they're out on the golf course or they're going on fishing or something. They'll, they'll be still tying their ties and trying to find their shoes at 4.45. But the bride, she starts early. You know what's on her mind. And I will tell you, and it's okay, but I would tell you that the wedding feast is a lot more important to brides and grooms and family than the ceremony. The ceremony will last about 15 to 20 minutes without a lot of accoutrements. The wedding feast, four to five hours. It's according to how long the venue will allow them to stay before they shut it down. And people don't leave. It's like, oh, we've got to go. They have to literally say, folks, we're turning the lights off. And they're celebrating the union of the bride and the groom. So, this morning, we're going to pray now, and I'm going to give thanks. We see that Jesus Christ, He gave thanks for the bread, sent it out, then He gave thanks for the cup. We're going to pray together. But historically, in the Reformed Church, I will include also a prayer of consecration where we purify ourselves afresh and anew. And again, it's not determining, I'm going to do better. And it's not disciplining yourself. And it's not beating yourself up. It's simply saying again the gospel, the lamb has been slain. The clothes that I am to wear are ever before me. I repent and I turn to them again and put them on this morning. And in His garment, in the righteousness of Christ, I come consecrated, pure like a bride to celebrate the wedding feast. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks. I give you thanks for this bread. I give you thanks for this wine. I give you thanks, Lord, this morning for the gospel that is contained in these humble elements. I give you thanks for your presence with us, that secret union that we can participate in. And I ask, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, that you give us a sense of that. Give us a sense of your nearness and your pleasure in us as if around the table it's your hand that is giving us the Passover bread and the Passover cup. So Lord, help us now 
to put aside our old, dirty garments that have collected so much trash and dirt from this week in the world and help us now, washed anew, to wear your garment of righteousness. That's how we approach this table, in our wedding dress. And so we ask, Father, that you would use this thing to strengthen and feed our soul and our hearts with the good news of Jesus Christ as both our Savior and our Lord, because it's in his name that we pray. Amen.